let's take our Bibles and we'll go to the first epistle that Peter has written in the New Testament. It's at the end of the Testament. And you'll find it uh, right after James, Hebrew James and then First Peter. So take your Bibles and let's look there. We're going to focus on verse 10, 11, and 12 today. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been now, uh, excuse me, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pause and pray. Lord, your word is before us and your spirit has empowered it. It is authoritative, sharp, alive. We believe today, although it is an ancient text, that it speaks directly to our lives. So we are here and attentive, ready to respond with your grace and truth. And we pray in the conclusion of this time, the receptivity that we have, conditioned by your spirit, would bring honor to Jesus, whose name we gather and sing and pray and proclaim. Amen. So writing to persecuted Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, Peter draws their attention to eternal truths that are unaffected by their present hardships. He helps them to identify with Christ and to remind themselves of this heavenly citizenship that they each hold. He reminds them that though insolent persecutors have taken much from them, their inheritance that is eternal is secure for them. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he elevates them uh, before them this extraordinary truth, which is their faith in Christ Jesus has brought about the salvation of their souls. What an inheritance that is. And he assures them that the trials and testing of their faith has been for purpose, it has proven the genuineness of their faith and it will result in this great salvation that is yet to be revealed in full. Now, let's, as we're focusing on verses 10, 11, and 12, pick up the context of the last couple of verses before it. Uh, look back in verse eight. Though you have not seen him, speaking of Christ, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's, there's what's bringing in today's text, which begins with these words concerning this salvation. So Peter is writing about the salvation that is ours. It's the inheritance that God has given us by grace. 
and that we receive in faith, and he's talking about that salvation. And the reason why that's important for me to kind of hound this morning is because I'm taking one sentence that Peter has written in verses uh, 3 through 12, one long sentence, and I'm breaking it into three parts in three Sundays. And when you do that, you lose a little bit of the context. So I want to constantly bring us forward to the context so that we're mindful of that. So let's just talk about four basic things in this text. First of all, the gospel is good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now the word gospel actually means good tidings. It means bearing good news. It is the good news for which people bear. It is in the original language, euangelion, which if we were to translate that or transliterate that into the English, it would be evangel. It would be good news. And so we get all these words like evangelistic and evangelism and uh, everything else related to evangel comes from this word, which means good news. Good news is at the center of who we are. Now, the good news of Christ that Peter's mentioning here is the salvation of our souls. Salvation is a good part of the story of a story that has gone bad. You ever have those bad stories that you reflect on? How many of you have ever been lost in one of these three stores mentioned behind me? Anybody ever know Zare? Anybody ever been in Zare? Oh, you're telling your age now, aren't you? How about Kmart? Anybody been lost in a Kmart? Uh, anybody in a Sears and Roebuck? Yeah. Uh, this generation that doesn't get lost in Amazon or eBay is just missing out on so much opportunity, aren't they? So if you've ever been lost as a kid, your story probably goes like so many of the rest of us who have been lost in a store, particularly those who grew up in the 70s, and you were in the store hanging out while your mom was looking at bell-bottom polyester slacks and some kind of faux silk blouse. And if you're like me, your mom told you to stay near her and keep your eye on her, to not veer off. But that's nearly impossible when your mom gives you that kind of law in a store like that because there's some force that's in the middle of those circular clothing racks that pulls kids inside those racks. And inside that clothing rack is an alternate universe because you somehow go into the rack right there by the frilly lace tops and you somehow come out on another side next to the women's unmentionable areas and your mom has been transported about 700 yards away in the Tupperware, Tupperware section and you have no idea where she is. Things change when you go into that circular clothing rack. The problem is when you pop, pop out, of course, everything is different. And in those kind of moments, you recognize that panic has significant power over your physical being, enough power to alter your voice box, enough power to squeeze every moist tear that has ever been in your tear ducts, and enough power to punch you in the gut at the same time. 
So when lost, I could not make a sound. My mouth would make motions of mama, but nothing would really come out of my voice. Something was embarrassingly coming out. It's like a squeaky puppy or something, but it wasn't mama, which I was trying to get out. And my eyes made it where I could not see because they were flooded with tears and my gut was so wrenched that I was bent at a 45 degree angle. I don't mind telling you in those moments, I was a hot mess not knowing whether to run back in the middle of the clothing circular rack or frantically run down the aisle screaming, flailing my arms to a desk that is announcing the blue light specials that are now going on. (laughs) Attention Kmart shoppers. Attention Kmart shoppers. We have a blue light special on a gut-wrenched boy who can't say the word mama. He's available in the women's clothing section now. So good news, the gospel comes to us in those moments of desperate times. That desperate time in my life was suddenly changed when I saw and my mama found me. And in the desperate time of your life is when Christ came looking and calling for you. That's good news. That's good news. From the beginning of time, God had declared the law to mankind. And in his grace, he told Moses that the law would be written and he would present it to the people. For that is the way God would measure people by his righteous law. Yet every one of us has failed God's law in every way. We find ourselves all desperately falling short of the glory of God. And that sin in our life separates us from the holiness of God. And as a result of that, we are eternally and hopelessly lost. But the good news is found throughout the scripture. In places like Ephesians 1.5, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight. There's a real summary of the gospel. The gospel is good. It's gracious news to us. And so Peter declares that in the beginning of this epistle. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's all God's act. It's all God's mercy. It's all God's grace. God is making us to be born again. And in that new birth that we have, we apply great faith in Christ our Lord and Savior. So the good news is the gospel of Christ. But really what I want to focus in on is one of the three arenas which Peter is reminding the people who were so persecuted about how Full, this conversation has been of God about the good news, about uh, how Christ would come and save us. And the first group that he mentions here, the prophets and the preachers. 
So the Holy Spirit voiced the gospel throughout history by prophets and now by preachers. Before and throughout history, the gospel has remained the same. I want us to come to that conclusion today that the gospel of the Old Testament and the gospel of the New Testament and the gospel of Christ today, it's all the same. There's, there's no difference to it. People are always saved in the same manner. In the Old Testament, the New Testament today, we are all saved by grace through faith. It's, that's the way God has made this plan from eternity past. So God saved the people of the Old Testament through the redemption of Jesus Christ. They did not know him yet. They had not seen him yet, but they trusted that God was going to provide him, and he did. And the Holy Spirit gave prophets to have that divine revelation about God's grace and mercy that would be revealed in the Messiah, Christ Jesus our Lord. So the prophets wrote about the forgiveness of God, the goodness of God, the unmerited favor of God, the blessings of God, the generosity of generations of sinners who would be scattered throughout the world, but yet by God's grace would be gloriously saved, be given new life from heaven above. And God extended his grace throughout the Old Testament from Adam all the way through to Malachi. And he did that in the New Testament as well. And he continues to do that today. God is always sharing his good news of salvation with the world. Now in the Older Testament, the prophets didn't question God's grace and provision of salvation. They didn't question that because the Holy Spirit had been given to them, giving them insight to how God would provide the gospel. And Peter mentions this. He says that the prophets mentioned that the the Messiah would come through suffering and subsequent glory. And in those moments where Peter is just identifying the prophets knew the sufferings and the subsequent glory of the Messiah, he is saying the prophets understood that Christ would suffer and die, and the prophets understood the subsequent glory of victory that would be his as well. The prophets understood that he would share those two things with us, his suffering and his subsequent glory so that he would be removing from us our sin and our suffering and the judgment of God that rightly is placed upon every person who has dishonored and disobeyed the law of God. And he would also share the subsequent glory of his resurrection with us, forgiving us of sin and imparting to us his righteousness and his spirit. So the prophets understood this all throughout time of the Old Testament. These prophets knew about the Messiah. They just didn't know who he would be or when he would, would come. They wrote explicitly about the Messiah's birth, his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection. And they even talked about the church and his power in the church. They foretold in detail of his suffering, but they also knew about his great victories and triumphs. They announced who it was that Christ would be serving an example of that is found in Isaiah. It's a rich text for us. Isaiah says, The Spirit of the, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. If you are spiritually impoverished today, here's the good news. God has come to change that. And Isaiah understood that. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted here today, 
God has good news from the prophets of ancient, uh, ancient years. He has come, the Messiah has come to bind up your brokenheartedness. If you are captive to something, he has come that he might proclaim liberty to you and open the prisons wide to those who are bound. So the prophet Isaiah recognized who it was that the Messiah was coming to serve. The Messiah did not come to serve the righteous. The Messiah came to serve the unrighteous. He didn't come to serve the sick. He came to care for the sick and to make them well. He didn't come to the saints. He came to the sinners that he might transform us as saints. So Isaiah recognized who it was that Christ was coming to minister to. Let me just put it bluntly. He came to minister to you and me and a few billion other people. Now, one day Jesus entered into the synagogue as was his practice. And he walks in and they actually want him to be the reader of the Old Testament prophets that day. That was customary for a rabbi to be called on in such a way. And it's predetermined, the liturgy is predetermined. The writing for the day that they would be reading was handed over to the Lord, the scroll. And it was from this text that I just read you from the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus read that in full. And then he rolled up that scroll and he handed it back to the attendant. And he said, this, this scripture is fulfilled today. That's such an impressive word. Because the Spirit of God indwelling Isaiah gave a picture of who it was that the Messiah would be by the people that he would come to save. And Jesus makes the announcement, Isaiah was writing that text about me. It is fulfilled. You know, the prophets, Peter is giving us insight to them. I think what he's saying to us is they weren't merely just passing the word of God along. Instead, they were searching and inquiring carefully about what the Spirit of God had told them. They were searching and inquiring about who the Messiah would be and when he would come. And it takes a lot of faith, doesn't it, to have a prophetic word of God, not fully understand it, but fully be convinced in its truth. You find yourself in a similar position today, don't you? You and I hold the word of God in our hand. We read it, we, we engage it with our mind and even in our heart, but you and I lack complete understanding. And so we search and we inquire the spirit of God about its meaning, but we have full faith in its truth. I've never found it not to be truthful. There have been many, many texts that I have not understood and then throughout my years of study, maybe some understanding comes about and it always proves to be true and accurate and right. Hits its mark every single time. And I know you find it that way as well. We should give God glory for that. It takes a lot of faith to live that way and God has been pouring out faith into our heart since the moment we trusted him and even before we trusted him. So Peter mentions these prophets to us, just acknowledging, and he wants those who are so, so affected by the persecutors and those who are coming so harshly against them, the, the bitterness of this world was so overwhelming that Peter wants to remind them that they possess a word that the 
Spirit of God from ancient days have been proclaiming about and that those prophets were addressing and the, the address of the prophets was not for the prophet. It wasn't even for their general time as much as it was for those who were receiving and acknowledging the fullness of the prophecy in Christ Jesus. But he also mentions this preaching of the good news. The word translated from preacher or preacher is euangelizo. It, it, it means one who brings the good news, one who makes the good announcement. He's referring to those New Testament preachers who made significant gospel impact. He's talking specifically about the 12 and Paul and Silas and Timothy and James and Jude and, and so many others like Stephen. And the words that those people were preaching were the teachings of Jesus being recommunicated to vast numbers of people in far expanding places. And the Spirit was empowering them to take the words of Christ and to communicate them. The Spirit did the same when he was empowering them to write those words, inspired words, which we have as the New Testament. So today, the Spirit of God empowers preachers to stand and communicate God's truth from his scriptures, the Bible. And we take that seriously at Meadowbrook. We long to be like Paul, to preach in demonstration of the Spirit and empower. But more broadly, the Holy Spirit empowers each of us to bring and announce the good news of Jesus. Can I just remind you that your testimonies of being lost and found are powerful? Just a grand work of God in your life. And everybody has the same outline generally. This is where I was in my lostness. This is where I was before Christ saved me. And this is the moment that Christ saved me, the conclusion that I made that I was a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy, and he imparted faith to me. It made me to be born again, and this is my life since then. Everybody has that same outline. You just have to fill in the plugs, and if you don't have that outline, you can't identify that moment in your life or that conclusion that you were born again, then I invite you today to trust in Christ and be gloriously saved. So God is giving us the opportunity to be proclaimers. And when you proclaim, he vows that his word will never return back to him void. It'll hit its mark. Christ will be glorified in that. Share your story. I mean, it's not just that the gospel is good news that Peter is saying, and it's not that he is, the spirit of God has given us prophets of old and, and preachers of new, but he's also telling us about angels. And he says, angels of heaven marvel at God's lavish grace extended to sinners. Now, I suspect that angels are far different than we imagine them to be. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty doubtful that the flannel graphs of our preschool times uh, in our Sunday school days were quite so accurate. My guess is the angels that have fellowship with God and glory in God's presence are far different than the pen and ink or the paint on canvas that you've seen depicted. I marvel at angels. I marvel at their existence. I wonder about their service to God. I, I try to envision them in the throne of God in all of its majesty and holiness and glory and brilliance. I, I try to imagine them in that place and I have a hard time doing so. I try to think about what it would be like for them to watch God create the world with just spoken words. 
Job said when that happened and they watched that happen that they shouted for joy watching God's glory on demonstration. I th think about the sounds of the angels as they are worshiping God. We join them today along with others who are in heaven giving worship to Christ our Lord. And I marvel at the idea of them being able to leave the holy presence of God and his awesomeness, leave that presence and come to earth and serve at God's discretion the saints among the church. There's a lot about angels that I wonder about, but as mystified as I am of them, they are of us. That's what the Bible says, that they are longing to see the fulfillment of this wondrous grace that we are experiencing. Just the idea of God being gracious to us who are made in his image causes them to have a, a longing to know more about that. They have a, a divine curiosity that God has given to them. So Peter describes them as longing to look. That word for longing in the original language is an intense longing that is not easily satiated. It, it, you can't quite get the fullness of it. There's always a longing. So they can't get enough of it is what they're saying. It's sort of like banana pudding. You just can't quite get enough. And uh, when it's warm, you can eat more than you thought you could, but you can't quite make your fill of it. Your stomach has its capacity. You want more, but you can't have more. So you put it in the fridge and you have it for breakfast the next morning, right? It's one of those desires that you long for and you constantly long for that. It's, it's the bluebell ice cream that you constantly keep in the fridge because you constantly have a longing. It's a silly way of saying this is the longing that the angels have. They cannot get enough of watching God's grace being demonstrated to us. And they're looking for it. If I were to describe that word um, in the original language, it would be they are craning their neck to see it. It would be they're stooping, bending down to see it and they're longing. It's the same word that John is described as knowing that Christ had been resurrected. He had heard that narrative from the women and he and Peter run to that place and John looks into it with a craning neck to look into that tomb. He wants to see what's in there. He, he needs to see that. There's an urgency about him. Same word. So Peter says that here are angelic beings who are longing to see the experience that God has given to us in grace and they crane their necks, they bend themselves down to see this taking place. John MacArthur says it this way, they have a holy curiosity to understand the kind of grace that they will never experience. Holy angels do not need to be saved and fallen angels cannot be saved, but the holy ones seek to understand salvation so they might might glorify God more fully, which is their primary reason for experience. That's part of the reason why I love to hear the, the gospel transforming stories of people because when I hear those stories, not only do I love you more because I know more about you, it causes me to walk away and give glory to Christ for redeeming you. And if you hear my story, it ought to cause you from the inside to express it externally. Praise be to God for doing that. 
His great grace. So I want to make one more statement. At the wonder of the Spirit of God who gave us this great news, proclaimed it from the prophets to the preachers of the New Testament, the preachers of today, that the angels are mystified to the wonderment of our heart. Here's what I want to conclude with. We live in a glorious era of fulfilled grace and should take full advantage of that. We live at a wondrous time, an incredible era in redemptive history. We have the rich words of the Old Testament and the powerful narratives of the gospel and the rich theology and doctrines of the epistles. What an amazing time for us to live. We live in an era where we have the indwelling of God, the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people. But listen, at Pentecost and post-Pentecost, the Spirit of God indwells people. The very nature of God dwells in people who are made to be born again. What an amazing time we live in. We live constantly in communion with God, in prayer and in worship. And we flourish with the fellowship of the saints in the church. We live in a day where technology allows for us to have global transportation and global communication. It is never easier in the history of time to be communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are alive in an age where the fulfillment of the prophecies have mounted to their highest numbers and remain 100% accurate. Listen, we can review prophecy of the, of the Christ. We can reflect on the historicity of Christ. We can recognize the life-changing movement of the Spirit of Christ. And we can be prompted in the call of Christ to be part of his great global ministry. We live in a remarkable time. And throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, God has extended his grace. He's extending it today as well. The gospel has been the same throughout the ages. And Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection fulfill that gospel that had been proclaimed from all the way from Adam in chapter 3 of Genesis to Adam all the way through throughout the scriptures to today. You and I live in a glorious era that the prophets long to know and understand. And you and I live in a time which the New Testament preachers were preaching about. And you and I live in a time and a place where the angels can't get enough of watching God's glorious grace given to us. God has sent preachers to rightly divide the word and prayerful and preparation deliver that word they preach not for themselves but they preach for others that they might grow and multiply in the gospel and right now in the splendor of heaven there are vast numbers of holy angels magnificent beings that are watching the glorious God but yet celebrating every time a sinner becomes a saint by God's grace no wonder Peter declared blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think what he wants us to do is regardless of your circumstances, good, bad, regardless of how you feel, good or bad, he wants you to reflect on the great grace that has been proclaimed throughout all time, planned perfectly by God, fulfilled totally by Jesus and be in wonder of that. 
And when you think you have little to rejoice in, come back to this truth. You have salvation by God's grace, and there you can find much to bless God for. Now pause and pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of so much commitment on your part to love well, to love fully, deeply, sacrificially, to make the announcements from ancient words all the way through to today and beyond that Jesus Christ is Messiah, Lord, Savior. And I pray if there's anybody in this room, those listening on the broadcast today, those watching online, I pray, Lord, that if they have yet to receive Jesus Christ, that you would save them, that you would impart faith to them, you would make them to be born from above in heaven by your predetermined way, and, Lord, they would affirm that Jesus is Lord, deny all others, including themselves and their sin, and follow hard after you, and that the glory belong to them because Christ is in them. And all of the angelic host will worship and praise, celebrate that very occurrence. For those of us who have received you, Lord, we have much to bless you for, and this is just another reminder. What a time for us to live. What a great treasure. When the world is talking about all the negative, today you've got us focused on the positive an inheritance that is stored up for us, secure in heaven by Jesus himself, sealed by his spirit, gifted by you. So we bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.